welcome to another episode of Iconic Freedom, The Formula. We are setting a standard for accountability and responsibility in this world of ours. Let each care for self and all will be cared for. Because it's always so attractive to be able to do good at somebody else's expense. That's the real problem about government. Government is a way by which every individual believes he can live at the expense of everybody else. That's, I'm just repeating what Bastiat said two centuries ago, more than two centuries ago. You know, the thing that people don't really understand is that free societies of the kind we've been lucky enough to experience for the last 100, 150 years are a very rare exception in human history. Most people, most of history, and at any one time, most people at any one time, have lived in tyranny and misery. And it's only for a brief period. And why? It is precisely because once you get some government program in, it may have been a very good idea, it's always proposed for good reasons, but once it gets in, it becomes a special privilege of a small group which has an enormously strong interest to maintain it. And you do not have any comparable group that has an interest to get rid of it. One of the things that I really like about his statement there, and I say this quite often to people, is that, you know, there are those in this world that want to live a consequence-free lifestyle. Essentially, like he's saying, they just want to live at the expense of others. And it's not just a financial expense. Uh, in a sense, I mean, there is quite a bit of a financial expense in that way. Uh, you look at the current situation where uh, President Biden is attempting to basically extort people, right, uh, to buy votes by forgiving their loans, their school loans. But the reality is, is that, look, if you're an accountable person, you're a responsible person, you own the choice that you signed on the dotted line, you were going to borrow a certain amount of money for a particular point in time to which you would pay interest on that money for having the pleasure and the privilege and the opportunity to have borrowed that money and invest it as you need it. Then to turn around and say, well, now I don't want to pay the loan back and, oh, I'm burdened too much. I can't live my life. It's like, well, what are all the other choices that you're doing in your life that prevent you from being able to do that? You know, if you decided that you wanted to go to college to get a degree in basket weaving and you're realizing that, you know, this day and age, there's really not a lot of call for that. <laughs> Perhaps your investment is a bad one. Uh, you know, people see that in the market all the time. You know, they'll buy a stock and the stock doesn't do well and then they take the loss. A lot of businesses will do the same thing. You open up a business, you start to sell your product or your service and things don't go well, you wind up closing your doors, you realize that, you know, there was not enough interest, there was not enough motivation of a free market to say, hey, we want your particular product or we want your particular service. I was talking to some friends about this during the week and some colleagues at work as well, that all of these things are a risk. So I mentioned it last week about this idea of equality, that there really is no such thing, that it really just sets you up to be a victim because there is no such thing as equality. There is only opportunity. Everyone has an opportunity. Life, liberty, 
pursuit of happiness. Those are the things that are inherent for you. Those are the things to which your government is enacted to, in a sense, protect. Um, and not really so much protect as to acknowledge those qualities. That, you know, that pursuit of happiness is your ability in a free market to own your own property, to own yourself and to own your own property. And when you have that freedom, when the government acknowledges the inherent right of you to have that freedom of pursuit of happiness, then you're able to make a life for yourself. But this idea of having a consequence-free lifestyle where you're going to live off the backs of other people is exactly what Milton is talking about. That wisdom of Milton Friedman, even way back then, decades ago, oh, well, he even quoted Bastiat a couple of hundred years ago, the idea that somehow people are going to benefit when they're living off the backs of other people, and that never works. It may work for a short term, but it will not work in the long term. It will always be a house of cards. It will always fall to the fact and the reality that people want to be free. They want to be able to pursue as they wish to pursue, and government has to get the hell out of the way, basically, right? I mean, that really is the way it has to work. And when government tries to control everything through regulation, through these laws, through tyrannical behavior, you know, where years ago, I remember during the Obama administration, there was a a guitar manufacturer that was making guitars in a particular way. And, you know, they just decided that they were going to impose on these people and infringe on their pursuit of happiness and decide to regulate them in such a way that it started to really hurt their business. This is a terrible disease pattern of government. And one of the things that Milton Friedman stands up for, and a lot of people do, is the limitation of government. There are some factors of government which are very useful. The safety of the nation, because it allows us to continue that freedom, that individual freedom to the pursuit of our own happiness. But for the most part, we really don't need government. If if people are having a hard time, they're, they can't make ends meet, they have certain functionalities that are in their communities, in their neighborhoods, in their cities, where they can go and people freely give money or donations and other people can see the benefit of those things. Other people can reap the benefits of those things. It, it's not uncommon for that to happen in our world and, and has been going on for quite a long time. I remember as a kid, my father was out of a job and at one point, uh, we received a bunch of old toys and stuff from this woman that happened to be my mother's boss. And, you know, I mean, so most kids, okay, they all got new toys that year for Christmas, and we got a bunch of used stuff. But I got to tell you, it was a really nice Christmas. I mean, it was a time in my life when we all found creative ways to give to one another, to gift to one another. And it didn't wind up having to be, you know, I got to spend $500, which was a lot of money back then, but I didn't have to spend 50 bucks on somebody in order for them to have a great Christmas and to realize that there's an exchange of, of love and friendship and hospitality in our world. There are other ways of doing that. So the idea that we're going to live a consequence-free lifestyle by 
taking off of the backs of other people inherently is one of those things that you look back on and go, where's the accountability? Where is the person taking ownership of their own life, of their own property, and managing their life in such a way that they are not a burden to others? When people become a burden to others, you can rest assured when you look at what's going on that they are not taking accountability for their life and for their choices. And that if Milton Friedman had his way, it would be turned over to the market and buried under skyscrapers and parking lots within 18 months or however long it takes Donald Trump to put the structures up. It doesn't take a, uh, a governmental agency to maintain the theaters in New York. It doesn't take a government agency to maintain the, the, the museums, the art museums in New York. The Museum of Modern Art is not a government museum. It's a private, it happens to be there are two kinds. There are private for-profit enterprises or not-for-profit not enterprises, like the museum, like the opera house and so on. Right. In the same way, if, if Central Park were not owned by the government, it never would have become the filthy place it became. You forget what happened to Central Park. Uh, we, for years, for some years, a long, long time ago, lived uh, on Central Park West when we were in New York. This was Pretty good during address. During the war. Well, even, was, even then it was a very good it, address. It wasn't a bad address, but it wasn't particularly good. All right. But we were able to take our children down to the park and when, our, when they were babies and, and let them, leave them with a teenage sitter. And nobody was worried about safety. But in more recent years, until the very recent years, Central Park came to be a place where you wouldn't dare to do that. It wasn't safe. That was because it was a government park. The central principle is that nobody takes care of somebody else's property as well as he takes care of his own. Again, another terrific point by Friedman regarding a person's accountability and their effort in creating their own life through their personal choice. Freedom to Choose, that was the name of his 10-part series back in the early 80s, that freedom to decide your life how you wanted it to go. And he makes a terrific point in saying that you will not treat something well that doesn't belong to you. And I'm sure we've all had that experience before at some point in our lives. You know, if somebody gifted us a car or if they gifted you a home or any number of things, you are less likely to take care of it as you would if you had to earn the money in order to do that on your own. I remember as a kid, I was working at a fast food restaurant and, you know, my parents had their TV out in the living room and my parents had one in their bedroom. And I just got sick and tired of having to be at the whim of whatever it is they wanted to watch on TV, right? You know, or I had to sit there and, you know, go through the, the negotiation of what I wanted to watch versus what they wanted to watch. And so I just thought, okay, well, then what I need to do is I need to save my dollars and buy my own TV. And I remember, I remember very specifically saving my money. I did it over a couple of months, I believe it was. I put a few dollars away each time. And I remember my dad taking me to some appliance store when we lived down in San Diego. And I bought my own TV. And I can recall even to this day, the freedom 
of being able to go into my room and close my door and turn on my TV and watch whatever program it was that I wanted to watch. And there's something really amazing about that liberty that you give yourself, that you gift yourself. And I took care of that TV. I mean, I think I was 15 or 16 when I got that TV. And <laughs> I don't know if I should really disclose this, but I think it was probably maybe 10 years, 15 years ago that I finally got rid of it. Uh, I think I got rid of it actually when I moved to New York, and that was shortly after I turned 40. So I had that TV for 25 years, maybe. Um, it still worked, you know. It was a it was a great little TV to have, you know. If something else happened, you know, and I wanted to watch a TV, you know, I, I had a TV to watch. But what was interesting to me about that particular effort for myself was giving myself the freedom to do something, to create the life I wanted. And I took care of that TV. Why? Because it belonged to me. It didn't belong to somebody else where I could just say, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm not the one that invested in it. When I invested in me, it made a difference. Uh, same thing about a telephone. I remember that, you know, wanting to get a telephone and wanting to have my own privacy and not have my mother or father being able to pick up the phone and listen in on the other side of what my conversation would be. And I know there are some of you out there that have experienced that when you were a kid. And so it became a big deal to me that I was going to work. I was going to save up my dollars. Back then, you had to rent a phone. You couldn't buy it. And I would get a phone. I bought my own tape recorder so that I could record messages when I was out. And, you know, I was developing that world for myself. In a full discussion, I would certainly agree with you that capitalism is not a sufficient condition for freedom. It's a necessary condition for freedom. I never said that wherever you had capitalism, you had freedom. I never said that. I never made that statement. I made the opposite statement. Wherever you had freedom, you had capitalism. Capitalism is a necessary condition for freedom, but not a sufficient condition for freedom. In addition, you need relatively broad access to capital and a relatively free market. Again, relatively. You need com competition. I usually refer to it as competitive capitalism to distinguish it from certain kinds of systems which have been capitalist and have all of the bad qualities that you describe. But to circle back to this clip with Milton and this wisdom of understanding that when something belongs to you because you've paid for it, you've invested your time, your money, your energy, your exertion, your effort, you're going to treat it very differently. People that didn't really invest, I mean, when people get a school loan, from the government, you know, they're not really invested in it. Why? Because they didn't have to earn the money. They asked for it and they got it. And they're not on the other side of the deal where their portion of the deal was. Now you're finished with school. Now you're going to pay it back. And all of us who had school loans who, you know, eventually wrote that check or paid that bill at the end and paid it off had a great sense of accomplishment. But if you're a person trying to live off the backs of others and to live a consequence-free lifestyle, well, you're not living a life of accountability and responsibility for your choices, right? So what does all of this stuff mean, right? We've listened to the wisdom of Milton Friedman for the last three podcasts. I did four podcasts listening to the beauty and wisdom of Christopher Hitchens. What do all these things mean? 
it's a way for us to understand life through other people's stories, for us to be able to listen and hear what they have to say, and then be able to pass it through the prism of our own understanding of what is owning my life, what is taking ownership of my life, and being responsible for it, having that ability to respond. What does it mean to be accountable? What actions, concrete and specific, can I take with no harm to others and to have that freedom to choose in order to create the life that I want to live? I have often said throughout the years that making one choice towards accountability, taking ownership of your life, ownership of your choices, can change your life on a dime in ways that you never knew possible and freedom that you never knew existed. And we are at the end of another podcast. It goes so fast. Thank you so much for joining me on this Sunday. I wish you and your family a great and terrific Thanksgiving. Share this with your friends and family. You never know how it might help them. I'd be grateful if you would hit that like button for me. And if you have something you'd like me to cover, send me an email or put it in the comments below and I'll cover it when I'm able. Thanks so much and we'll catch you on the next one.